Welcome to church this morning. My name is Chris Limberg. I'm the worship pastor here. And um, just wanted to welcome you all here. It's good to be together. It's good to dive into God's word. It's good to sing together. It's good to beautiful moment of worship this morning. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to spending this time together, just learning and hearing from God. Um, so this, this week is week six, the final week, and we are looking at delighting in God's justice and mercy. Caring for the lost, poor, sick, and brokenhearted. Delighting in God's justice and mercy. So I want to ask you a question. When I say the word justice, what is the first thing that you think of? Like first thing, where, where does your head go? Court. That's what they said during the first, first gathering as well. It goes right to a courtroom. Same thing for me. When I hear the word justice, I think of a courtroom. I think of right and wrong. I think of the phrase justice being served. Um, I think of somebody getting what they deserve, um, you know, upholding the law. I think of judgment. I think of a gavel, a judge, judgment. And then when I think of mercy, what I think of is something completely opposite, right? Is that where your head goes? That's where mine goes. When I think of mercy, I think of compassion and forgiveness and love. Completely different from this idea of justice. When I think of justice in relation to mercy, it looks something like this here. Divergent. Justice, judgment on one hand, mercy, compassion, and love on the other. But looking into this study and preparing for this week, God showed me that justice and mercy through an eternal lens and through a biblical lens looks something more like this here. Justice and mercy work alongside one another. That's no more clearer seen than in the gospel. Pastor Frank last week taught a great message on salvation and in that, he spoke about justification. Being made right before God through his mercy. So that's what I want to talk about this morning is a proper understanding of what justice and mercy is. And what justice is not, contrary to where our minds go, what justice is not is it's not judgment. It's not license for us to hand out judgment. Justice is not license for us to hand out judgment. Although judgment is a part of God's justice, it's not for us. The Bible's very clear about that. Justice is not us handing out God's judgment. James 4.12 says, there's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. That's not me but who are you to judge your neighbor? We do not determine the fate of our neighbors. We don't determine the fate of our neighbors, nor do we have the capacity to look to the heart, to judge the heart. So the Bible warns us against that. So we need to get out of our mind this idea that justice is some sort of handing out of judgment because biblical justice is not. We're nowhere near qualified to judge others because we're broken. And judgment is a decision, and it's a decision of eternal matters of the heart. It's not ours to give. So then what is justice? The best definition of justice that I found was by Adam Taylor, writing for World Vision. He writes, justice is, first and foremost, 
a relational term. People living in right relationship with God, one another, and natural creation. So justice, biblical justice, is a relational term. People living in right relationship with God, one another, natural creation. So when we talk about justice and mercy, when we talk about justice, what we're talking about is making right what God has designed and that the world has really made wrong. That's the injustice. Now, common social injustice or things that we think of when we hear the word injustice, those fall under that umbrella indeed. But justice is a making right of what the world has made wrong in the, in the eyes of God. So when we seek justice, we're seeking a desire to see God's kingdom flourish here on earth. Seeking justice is a desire to see God's kingdom flourish here on earth. If kingdom flourishing or justice is the fruit, then love, compassion, and mercy is the fuel. Seen no clearer than in the message of the gospel. Love, compassion, and mercy entering in to seek justice, to make right what the world had made wrong. So when talking about seeking justice this morning or the idea of justice, I'm not gonna use this time or this platform to address any modern day issues of justice, social injustice whether it be political corruption, poverty, racial discrimination, sanctity of human life, foreign wars, all of these things fall under justice issues. The main reason being that I don't have the answer to some of these debates and some of these conversations. So I'm not gonna stand here as if I do. But one thing that I do know when looking at justice and mercy and where God has led my heart to study that I need to hear this message just as much as anyone else in this room. A reminder of what seeking gospel-centered justice looks like. A lesson on what seeking, on what gospel-centered, seeking gospel-centered justice looks like. A lesson from Jesus himself in a very unfamiliar and uncommon text because the Bible is very explicit in its commands to care for the poor and the brokenhearted and the needy and the fatherless. Jesus himself, as he was entering into ministry in Luke 4, verse 18, he, he's, as he's about to enter into ministry, he goes back to Nazareth and he's teaching in the synagogue and he, and he takes the scroll of Isaiah and he reads from it. As fulfilled prophecy, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He came for justice. Some people have said this, this portion here is really Jesus laying out his job description of what he's about to do. And all of these issues, caring for the poor and the needy, caring for the fatherless, these all fall underneath that umbrella for sure. But like I said, I want to look at a rather uncommon story this morning. Because if this is Jesus' job description, 
then this story is, a, is the picture of him at work within this job description. And it's this, that Jesus meets injustice with mercy and the outcome is salvation. Jesus meets injustice with mercy and the outcome is salvation. So the story we're gonna read is the story of Zacchaeus. In the book of Luke, chapter 19, 10 verses. I wanna stand and I wanna read that together. If you're gonna follow along in the Bibles in your seats, it's on page 872. Um, Like we say every week, if you do not own a Bible, take this one with you. This is our gift to to you. Take this book home with you. The words are also gonna be up on the screen. And I wanna read from Luke, chapter 19, starting in verse one. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. You can read along with me. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he'd become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word and for this time that we're able to set aside to look into these stories, to look into the life of your son Jesus, to understand you more. God, I pray that you do that in these moments, that you tune our hearts towards your heart, that we come more and more like your son Jesus, that you open up our eyes and our ears to see and to hear things that we need to hear. God, that you take things that we need to remove from our hearts and that you do just that. God, we long to be who you've called and designed us to be. And in these moments, we're pursuing after you. So would you reveal yourself to us, Father? We pray these things through the mighty power of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So like I said, kind of an uncommon story to be talking on, and it's probably a story that most of us have heard before. To be quite honest with you, it's, it's kind of a story in the Bible where I'll read it, and I'll just kind of, that's a good story. It ends well. But, um, but this past week in studying it, God really sort of opened my eyes to the fact that this was a social, economic justice issue of the day that he addressed. And he addressed it in an uncommon way. Now again, my hope this morning is not to disregard um, other ways to view injustice and other ways to pursue 
issues of justice, but it is just to open our eyes and sort of turn the, the, look at it through a different lens and through a different facet um, because it was awakening for me. So the story of Zacchaeus is a social, economical justice issue. Zacchaeus was a tax collector in the town of Jericho, which at that, in those days, the, the town of Jericho was, was a thriving town. It was a wealthy town. It was a luxurious town. The one um, commentator, theologian William Barclay, writes that Jericho had a great palm forest and world-famous balsam groves which perfumed the air for miles around. Its gardens of roses were known far and wide. So this was one of the wealthiest cities of the day. Then you have Zacchaeus, who is a chief tax collector, who is basically getting wealthy off of this wealth through taxation. He implies towards the end that he's cheated people of their taxes. So he's getting wealthy in a rather corrupt way. The story also implies that he was known as a notorious sinner. So he was not liked by the people around him. This guy was as corrupt as could be, exploiting the people around him for his own gain, for his own wealth. And it says that on the day that Jesus was passing through, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. I, I love that this story points out that he was short and that he had to climb a tree to see Jesus. But it's really sort of irrelevant to, to what Jesus does in that moment. Other than Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. I don't think Zacchaeus knew how badly he needed to see Jesus. But the story points out that he wanted to see Jesus. It says that Jesus notices him. It says that Jesus looks up. The translation of the Greek is a word that means looks up and he sees Zacchaeus. So he's aware. And he calls him by name. And then he says, I want to spend time with you in your home. Zacchaeus welcomes him in. The Greek word there is welcomes him under his roof, shows him hospitality. The text is unclear as far as what that hospitality looks like, but it is clear in saying that he welcomed Jesus into his home. It's also clear in, in saying that the people around, the crowd around, just didn't, didn't agree with that. That didn't jive well with them. Calling Zacchaeus a notorious. Can you believe that this man is going to eat with a notorious sinner? And then there's a gap in the story. There's a gap. It says that Zacchaeus um, was hospitable towards Jesus, welcomed him into his home, and then it jumps to Zacchaeus stood up, rose, and he said, I'm going to give my wealth to the poor and four times the amount that I've, that I've cheated people of their taxes, I'm going to give back. And Jesus credits to him salvation. So we see this, whatever happened in that gap, Zacchaeus repents and he turns from his wicked ways and Jesus acknowledges that repentance and says salvation is yours. Social justice. He's giving to the poor. He's giving back to those that he had cheated. All that the world had made wrong in the life of Zacchaeus, Jesus brought justice 
and he made it right in that gap. I would love to know what was said in that gap, but we don't. And I think that's appropriate because too many times I think I need to be equipped to stand in that gap. And really what this text is saying, no, no, all you gotta do is you gotta introduce them to Jesus. Just introduce them to Jesus and let Jesus do what only Jesus can do. And that's change lives. That's emphatic in this story. That's emphatic in this story. So we take these three things. Jesus sees injustice. He looks up. I don't know what injustice he was seeing. Was he looking into Zacchaeus' heart and was he seeing the corruption and was he drawing that out? Or was he looking at Zacchaeus in the context of the crowd and seeing how he had been outcast by the crowd? Seeing the disharmony, seeing the corruption in that light. One commentary said that Zacchaeus was most likely known to be shorter and was being just nudged away. Like he could, no one was letting him see Jesus. That's why he had to climb a tree to see him. One commentary suggests that. The story doesn't say that. But then it says Jesus approaches this injustice, this disharmony, with unpopular mercy. So he steps into that space. Crowds looking at him, wondering what he's doing. Knowing he's about to enter into the home of, of someone who's, who's known as a notorious sinner among these people the judgment flying around that scene. But yet Jesus steps into that what's got to be uncomfortable, awkward, unpopular space in love and mercy. Did God, did Jesus have the power and the authority to just slam Zacchaeus for his sin, for his brokenness, for his corruption, for the way that he was treating the people of his community? Absolutely. Absolutely but he approaches him in love and mercy and he approaches him with the gospel. And we see life change. Again, I, I know that this is not a common way to look at social justice or the idea of justice within community of believers. But I think it's appropriate I think it's appropriate that we glean from this story and we glean from the person of Jesus what, how we approach injustice, social injustice, how we approach it. And the way that we approach it, it was with love and mercy, with the gospel. I also love this story because when speaking about injustice, we can, we can commonly turn to the oppressed. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't. We absolutely should. But the gospel is for the oppressed just as much as it's for the oppressor. And here we see a story where, justi- where, where, where a justice issue is dealt with from the top down. And we see a leader, a leader's heart turning and now giving to the poor and righting all his wrongs. I pray for a day that we see leadership in our time turn their hearts and change the story in that way.
So the justice is needed just as much for the oppressor as the oppressed. I was struck this week when considering this idea of justice because I had a friend who for the longest time lived down south and he worked for an organization that dealt with um, in uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, that area, but dealt with human trafficking, which is a huge issue down there. An epidemic down there. And this organization would step in that gap. And I started to think and I started to consider, you know, what could I do to seek justice? And God pressed on my heart, Chris, in the very least, you could at least pray for the oppressor. You could pray for those people that are making such broken and sinful decisions, such corrupt decisions, not, not caring for the dignity of human life and of God's creation. Pray that their hearts turn towards God. In the very least, just pray. I was largely convicted by that. Because my mind just doesn't even go there. But we need our minds to go there. We need to be concerned with such things, not just for the oppressed, but for the oppressor. That's the example of Jesus, and I love this story because he goes after the oppressor and he relieves the oppressed through it. Because we could have also looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, if you want to look it up. Read through the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's another example of justice and mercy being shown to the hurting and those less fortunate than us. Either way, whichever story that we look at, it's made me realize I don't think on these things as much as I should. I don't think on these things as much as God does. In tuning my heart towards God's heart, I don't dwell on these things. I didn't, in the very least, pray for this friend of mine who was dealing with these corrupt organizations. I didn't pray for the people who are running these corrupt organizations that they may see truth and see the gospel and be confronted with the gospel either way i know i'm not considering these things as much as i'd like to they're blind spots they're 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 moments in time or they're issues in time that i'm completely blinded to for whatever reason i need to glean from this story as jesus did as i'm passing through i need to look up i need to look I need to look for these issues. I need to look for ways that I can be a part of the solution, even if it's simply in prayer. God, would we be a church that just prays for justice, not just social justice, but just prays that we can see God's kingdom flourish here on earth and that we can be a part of that. And when God calls us to be a part of that, that we can step into that space with courage and with boldness, despite what the crowds around us are saying despite what maybe even in our own hearts we may be feeling. Our own inabilities, insecurities, whatever that may be. Would we become a church that would move into that space? I pray that we will be. And continue asking God, what am I not seeing? What am I missing? Because there's, there's, there's one thing that God pressed upon my heart this past week when considering this study, when considering this story, when considering the idea of justice and mercy and how that plays out in my life. And I I started to think of different stories and different people that I know that are interacting with justice issues 
and what I could do and how I could be a part of it, one thing that got pressed on my heart, which was really hard to swallow at first, and it might be for you as well, was this. I believe this to be true. God cares more about seeing his kingdom flourish than he does for our own worldly comfort and well-being. The more I wrestle with this idea, and the sooner I can take hold of this idea, the sooner I can be comfortable with this idea, the better I can be motivated to step into these spaces. And I think as a church, we need to hear this. When it comes to justice and mercy and mission and turning our hearts outward to our community, to the dozen or so people that God has placed in our lives, we need to understand this. God cares more about seeing his kingdom flourish than he does for our worldly comfort or well-being. Jesus lived this out. We need to be okay with living this out. And we need to pray that God tunes our heart and turns our heart toward the issues that are around us and that we can step into that space as a church. As a church, we are right at the beginning of wanting to form an outreach team. So a group of people who will oversee and be looking up and have their heads up to the immediate needs in our community, within our church, whatever it may be, whatever injustice there may be, whatever wrong that the world has made that Jesus wants to make right and that God wants to see right, kingdom flourishing. We wanna pull together a team. So if this is something that God is stirring in your heart or nudging for you to be a part of, then I, I wanna encourage you to, to go, you can fill it out on the Connect card, go to the Connection Center, just give them your name, give them your email, just so we know how to get in touch with you. But we believe that God's stirring, starting to tune this next series that we're gonna get into next week, Salt and Light, this idea of being aware of our immediate community, our oikos, it's called in the Greek. It's our immediate community, the eight to 15 people that God has placed in our lives to minister the gospel to. But then beyond that, how can we look beyond that? I pray that God gives us eyes to see an awareness and that we have the courage to step into the space. What does that look like? I don't know. I just start jotting down some things as I was studying. You know, surely it's going to the sick or going to the praying for the sick or going to the poor, bringing the gospel to a local soup kitchen and just serving food and the love of Jesus to the poor, visiting prisons, brokenhearted, lost. In the story of Zacchaeus, what does that look like? Does that look like writing a letter to a government leader? Does that look like confronting or bringing the gospel to a government leader, whether it's local or whatever scale? If we can't, we can't put the gospel into our laws, we can definitely bring it to our leadership. Does it look like that? I don't know. But there needs to be an awareness and a willingness. As we were talking about the idea of, of, my wife and I were talking about the idea of foster care. It's, this just stirred such a fire in our bellies. The, the other night we were saying, well, we could, let's turn this room into a bedroom, this room into a bedroom, this room into a bedroom. But that's the truth. 
We need to be thinking about what we can do. We need to be calling out injustice, first and foremost. We need to be looking up and identifying it and then stepping into that space. And in the very least, in the very least, we should be praying. We should be praying, we should be praying, we should be praying. That, God, that we would see God's kingdom flourish. That we would see God's kingdom flourish. In the very least, we should be praying. And that we step out in that unpopular love and mercy and seeking justice.